0: Listening to The Catalyst with Samantha Chris, where we explore the inner workings of embracing the unknown. From ordinary daily habits to extraordinary measures. Get ready, we're about to ignite change and inspire action. Welcome back, everyone. I am your host, Samantha Chris, and with me today is Heather Ryder. She's an anxiety coach and imposter syndrome educator who personally overcame high-functioning anxiety and imposter syndrome while working in a demanding tech job. She works with clients from all over the world who want to take a non-traditional holistic approach to healing anxiety. She regularly writes and presents on the issues of perfectionism, imposter syndrome, high functioning anxiety, and other anxiety-related topics. Heather, welcome to the show. Oh, hi, Samantha. It's great to chat with you today. It's great to have you, and it's especially great to have you, as this is the first week of the year, and I feel like many people are going back to work after the holidays, kind of feeling maybe a little exhausted before they even begin.
1: I definitely think so, right? I mean, here we are at the beginning of 2021 and we've been in this pandemic now for almost a year and we didn't think, I will say for the, (laughs) I'll say for most people, we didn't think this was going to continue on this way. So, you know, at this time of year when we wanna have so much hope and looking forward, um, that is true for so many people, but at the same time, we just continue to be in this unknown and that
0: is exhausting. It is. And I mean, pandemic aside, which I don't even know if anyone can (laughs) fully put it too far out of their purview, but before we hit record, you shared that one in four Americans view their job as the most stressful part of their life. And you also mentioned that you want to change the cultural belief that stress and anxiety are an acceptable and normal part of business. So I want to start there because, you know, the pandemic has for sure added a lot of stress, but the reality is, uh, work is stressful enough as you know on its own, as it seems. And so, how That's can true. we, yeah, how do we change that belief?
1: Well, you know, when we think about these phrases, uh, you know, I'm an American, so I, you may have listeners from all over, but there's these phrases that I hear a lot that is rise and grind. Mm -hmm. or hustle, just the word hustle alone. And I hate those phrases because that just perpetuates that it's okay to wake up in the morning and just slave yourself to death, right? Mm -hmm. That you just, that work has to be a grind or that you have to push, 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 right? That's what hustle means to me. And there's that other expression, work hard, play hard. You know, all of those have this like forceful element to them, that just lets people think that it's okay to constantly be working. And then if you're not working, then when you're having fun, that should be, you know, hard too. Like you should be going all out all the time. right? And so it's just become this ingrained thing in society where um, it's thought of, you know, that if you're not pushing yourself really hard a slacker and that you're not going to be
0: successful. So, I mean, it seems that it goes even deeper than cultural beliefs and workplace culture, and that it really starts with the individual. And that if we're going to shift our perspective to how we view stress, how we view anxiety, or how we view burnout, even that we need to make a few subtle shifts, um, starting with our inner dialogue. Yes. I love that
1: you just said that. So the inner dialogue that we all have, right. That people will, you know, kind of think, Oh, I don't talk to myself sort of thing. Or that's like a frowned upon thing to even say the the reality is we have an internal dialogue or even, you know, sort of monologue that's going through our heads at all times. And I like to sort of describe it this way is there's often what I, I think of as like layers of thought, right? Because humans are incredibly intelligent and complex. And so we can have our focus on one thing, but then there's this stream of consciousness behind that, this this other dialogue that's going on with ourself. Mm. And so oftentimes that inner voice or that inner dialogue is what I call the inner critic, because it is that voice is often saying mean things to us and we don't even notice it because we have these multi-layer thoughts going on. And so it can be really hard to even recognize that we are talking to ourselves and saying things to ourselves about ourselves. Right. And that, yeah. And that those things that we're saying are not productive and helpful, but that they're also harmful often.
0: So in the clients that you work with, do you think it's fair to say that the majority of the stress and anxiety we feel associated to work is actually self-imposed or do you think that it really is coming from the workplace?
1: Well, that's an interesting question because, I mean, it's hard to make a sweeping generalization, right? Because there are people who obviously work in really toxic environments Mm -hmm. and we can't discount that. But putting that aside, that's probably not the majority of workplaces. And so whenever we're in given situations, it is this pressure that we put on ourselves and perfectionism. Um, By the way, I happen to work with very high achievers, really goal-oriented people. So the anxiety work that I'm doing with them, often they have high functioning anxiety, which is what I personally overcame. It's sort of a hidden anxiety And so our perspective and perception of the world is what we are responding to and where that dialogue comes from. So our relationship with work often is coming from our past experiences and the things that have shaped us and molded us. And those are the reasons that we have that inner critic that is happening. And that's the reason that we are striving for, you know, quote unquote, perfect in our job or in our personal lives as well. So um, I want to take the blame, I guess, out of the work environment, really, and bring it back to like our core self and our core beliefs.
0: I know we have a lot of high performers that listen to this show And what I find really interesting about your story is that, you know, you mentioned that you overcame it yourself personally, but that you actually didn't know you had anxiety at first because what you thought anxiety looked like didn't actually fit what you were experiencing. So how did you come to understand what was actually going on?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And oftentimes um, I will say the people that I work with, um, they don't know that they have high functioning anxiety either. So as I mentioned, high-functioning anxiety can be thought of as hidden. And I will tell you this, a lot of what I'm saying is in retrospect, right? Because when I was in the middle of it, I didn't know what I was grappling with. Looking back, I probably had anxiety for at least 10 years. And I was, like I mentioned, very goal-oriented, high achiever. You know, I had a master's degree in my mid-20s. I live in Austin, Texas. I used to work in technology. And so I always was focused on success and doing the best work that I could do. And I oftentimes spent inordinate amount of time on things, revising, editing, checking, proofreading, you know, over and over so that everything that I produced would be really high quality. And, uh, and I, and I want to even put this in the frame of work or even school if somebody is in graduate school that's listening. <laughs> because everything that I produced was so stellar, I would get feedback about the work that I produced and how good it was. And all that did was like feed the machine where I would think that I would have to keep operating that way. And, and looking back and not realizing that I had anxiety, I am not sure what I thought anxiety looked like. I will say that I, I think that I probably thought it was people having uh, panic attacks all of the time, people who were shaky, people who weren't able to work. I don't know what I thought it was, but I didn't think that I had it because the, I wasn't any of those things. And that's why it's called high functioning anxiety, because I was extremely high functioning. And this is true for me and others. People who have high functioning anxiety generally look extremely calm calm to an outsider. Interesting. And I would hear that a lot. Like Heather, you look really calm. Uh, but I wasn't on the inside. That's not how I felt on the inside.
0: So how did you learn to, to manage it, to overcome it?
1: Yeah. Well uh, I didn't, I didn't learn uh, to overcome it. Unfortunately um, this is very true with people have anxiety you're operating under stress hormones and, you know, stress chemicals in your body. And I was doing that for so long that eventually I got very sick. I had a severe autoimmune reaction Mm -hmm. and it was kind of the brick upside my head um, because I couldn't keep functioning the way that I was functioning and my health took a priority over other things. And so uh, the very short story is when I started to focus on healing my physical body that's when I actually got the emotional healing that I didn't know that I needed. And I started to take a very holistic approach to healing myself. I sort of gave up on Western medicine and that's a whole nother conversation. And so when I started to try some things that were, you know, out of the mainstream or not normal, that really opened me up to like different ways of thinking that I had never approached before. And so all of the old Heather kind of started to break down. And I became a different person. Uh, I was sick for over a year, by the way. So I'm, you know, compressing the story. It was definitely a journey and process, yeah. but it was actually after my physical body was healed that I looked back and realized that I had anxiety when I didn't have it anymore.
0: And what was that realization like?
1: Oh my gosh. I mean, it was really profound um, to have a name for something thing. Uh, you know, I suffered from imposter syndrome too. And I asked that a lot quicker because of a Google search that I did, <laughs> but, you know, to, to like realize that something has a name and that other people feel the way that you feel, um, is really, I don't know. It's, um, I guess comforting. And a lot of people that I work with, particularly in my group programs, um, kind of say the same thing. Like it's, it's nice to know that somebody else feels the way that you do, because when you're really grappling with them, you feel so incredibly isolated. Mm. And then when you realize, oh, wait, it's, it's not just me, then that is actually helpful and gives a lot of hope, myself included.
0: Wow. There's something that you mentioned I want to circle back on of kind of the old Heather needing to be deconstructed. And I think that when we embark on change, we sometimes underestimate how much the current version of ourselves will need to to evolve. It will need to be let go of. There's almost a mourning process in some cases, depending on the magnitude of the change that you're about to embark on. And I'm really curious to know, I mean, shifting from kind of a, a Western approach to medicine to holistic healing Um, Entering in this new phase, understanding that what you have been dealing with and struggling with is indeed high performing anxiety, and consciously choosing a new way of life, what was that evolution like for you? I mean, that sounds massive.
1: Yeah, Samantha, what you just said was so eloquent. I think people are probably going to have to go back and and listen to that, you know, thirty seconds over and over because you said some really powerful things right there. I will say that at first it was really rough. I mean, I it's hard to describe what having, uh, you know, a severe autoimmune reaction is like, um, I don't have an official diagnosis because as I said, I kind of gave up on doctors and that's why, because I kept going to them and they weren't listening to me. And so, I mean, it, it was literally physically painful at times, but as this sort of old Heather was breaking down, um, it was extremely emotional, but then when I started to get better, I started to get a lot of feedback from people, particularly at work, about how I was, you know, quote unquote, showing up in the world. And that was really telling to me because people were coming to me, I guess, not exactly for advice, but they would make comments about how uh, sort of hopeful I was, how much gratitude I was, how, uh, my perspective was really positive. And it's in contrast to how people used to tell me how I was calm, but I didn't feel calm on the inside. When I started changing and people were responding and telling me things that actually aligned more to how I felt inside, right? So complete opposite from what it used to be. That's when I started to feel really different. The people were telling me and seeing how I felt on the inside. I knew that I had changed a lot.
0: Oh, I love that. Thank you for sharing. Yes, you're welcome. So we're talking high performance anxiety. We're talking high achievers. um, There's So much, I think, that gets wrapped up in what's expected of us in the workplace, Uh, not only the the expectations others have of us, but the expectations that we put on ourselves. And when we bring stress and anxiety and imposter syndrome to upper management or to our teams, I think that there's this belief or... I don't know if it's a belief, but there's there's some kind of maybe understanding or we, we convince ourselves that there is, that it's on our shoulders. It's our responsibility as the employee, as the individual to figure this out on our own. But the reality is, is that this resolution should very much be the employer's concern because stress and anxiety are not only detrimental to us as people, but they can be extremely damaging to companies as well and employee related stress and anxiety as you had mentioned again before we hit record costs us corporations billions of dollars each year. So what tools and techniques do you think companies can implement to bring these types of conversations to the forefront and really help their employees live and perform better.
1: You know, that's a really interesting question because I was never in a position uh like what you just mentioned. It seems like that's sort of like an HR conversation. Um, What I would say is if for someone who is is listening, if they have been working somewhere for a long time and they don't feel like their company is uh, focused enough on, you know, work life balance or um, healthy living, then they can bring it up and address it with either their manager or someone in H.R., But I would say for me personally, something that I did is that when I was shifting from one job to another, I was recognizing what was really important to me. And this goes back to, you know, are there toxic work environments? Of course there are. But we have a lot of power in finding the right place for us. So I moved from one very large company to another, and I was purposely looking for a place that was known for allowing their uh, employees to work a reasonable amount of hours. So shifting from a place where it was not unusual for people to work 65, 70 hours a week (laughs) into moving to a company that was more along the lines of 40, 45 uh, hours a week where people were actually leaving at 5 or 5.30, right? So there was things that I was looking for that would let me know that The company valued employees. And of course, when you know you're interviewing, there's lots of ways to ask the appropriate questions, you know, that sort of veiled sort of questions that you can ask. It's a little bit of a game, but it's like looking place where you know they don't want you to, you know, metaphorically or physically just strain yourself to the point where you can't be physically or mentally healthy because of what they expect from you.
0: Mm. So I think that's really great advice. And for anyone who's Going back to work this week, as we mentioned, the first week of the year and feeling that stress, I think it's also really important to have these conversations. And so, the fact that you were in a position to make such a move, um, super bold, I'm sure took a lot of courage, and is a really great option for you know those who have that ability. But for those who may not be able at this point in time to switch careers or to switch employers. I think it's still really important to be able to vocalize when we're reaching the point where stress is no longer manageable, where anxiety has become something that we feel has, has taken over our lives. And these types of conversations, you know, like no one's really initiating them in, in the workplace. And so I think there is a responsibility. And as you mentioned, the more we talk about things, the more we realize it's not so lonely. We've got other people who might be able to relate and who are living through some of the same things or feeling some of the same emotions.
1: I agree. Uh, and yeah, you're definitely added another layer to what I said. Um, I do feel fortunate that, you know, i like I mentioned, live in Austin and and I used to work in technology. And so there happened to be an abundance of jobs here right now. So I don't take that for granted that I did have the opportunity to leave. But your comment has me thinking about a client who, when she started working with me, oh my gosh, she was probably working anywhere from 12 to 14 hours a day. And by the time we were done, she was purposely putting a uh, vacation on her calendars, purposely taking some Fridays off these things that she had never been able to do before. And she didn't leave her job. She did what you just said. She recognized these patterns and ways of being. And she talked to her boss and said, you know, I I need to make a change. This isn't healthy. I'm not seeing my two-year-old enough. And her boss acknowledged and recognized that it was a culture that was going on Hmm. there that wasn't really healthy. And a number of them sort of banded together. They were all a bunch of overworkers and they all recognized, yeah, let's help each other out here because we all sort of do this and let's change together as a group. So part of this is just a conversation conversation. Because you don't know what someone else is thinking a lot of the time, right? Until you ask and there could be somebody else is thinking this exact same thing you are and wanting change.
0: Absolutely. It reminds me of one of the things one of my coaches told me right before the holidays is that there's nothing a conversation can't fix. And I think we, especially if we're caught on the trap or in the loop of stress and anxiety, we build these conversations to be much scarier than they actually are. And, you know, they may not always go as, as according to plan, but having them is a lot less scary uh, than the idea that we build up of having these types of conversations of, oh goodness, how am I going to tell my boss that I feel overworked and overstretched? Um, And it's, you know, I, it actually reminds me of a boss that I have that I respect so much. And she's taught me so much. I, when I joined her team, she said to me, Sam, I am going to push you harder than you've ever been pushed. And I'm going to need you to tell me when enough is enough because there's going to be things coming at you, projects coming at you, deadlines coming at you. And unless you tell me you can't, I'm going to assume that you can. And it put the responsibility on me to say, to put my hand up when I couldn't, you know, fathom taking on another project. But it also opened the door to two-way dialogue of this is someone, this is a boss, a manager who cares about my well-being, who's willing to hear, you know, when I'll need a break. Yeah, that sounds like a
1: really great brass that that person really wanted you to succeed and thrive, but uh, was also acknowledging that you have boundaries and trusting that you were going to be able to express those.
0: Absolutely. Speaking of being able to kind of make that transition, express ourselves to move away from this place of stress and anxiousness into a place of feeling like we're in a little more control of our lives, of our calendars, of how we're feeling. You have an upcoming course, Transform Anxiety to Joy. Can you tell us a little bit more about it? Oh, absolutely. It's an eight-week group program.
1: Uh, It's virtual. It's live. We meet once a week for about an hour and 15 minutes. And I designed this program through working with so many people and seeing patterns emerge. And I thought I can make a group program out of this because I'm seeing so many commonalities in my one-on-one clients. And so I just help people figure out how to learn the secret about why they are often triggered uh, without even realizing why. Uh, I help them with a lot of easy to use techniques for when they are emotionally overwhelmed or spiraling. And that inner critic that you and I talked about, uh, I teach them ways that they can recognize when that inner cri- critic is talking and how to. Uh, get that inner critic to be quiet. Um, So those are just some of the things that we cover in that program.
0: Oh, awesome. Do you touch on perfectionism in that course?
1: That's definitely a theme that comes through like our relationship with mistakes. Mm -hmm. And uh, that inner critic is perfectionism at heart. So yeah, as I mentioned, I tend to work with people who are very accomplished and high achievers, and they pretty much suffer from
0: perfectionism, even if they don't realize it, that's what's going on a lot of the time. And can you leave us with a parting bit of advice or maybe a quick hack that we can spot maybe when we're in, we've fallen into the trap of either perfectionism or imposter syndrome and how we can really owning our power in that moment.
1: Well, I like the use of powerful questions um, because this is how we start to really shift some fundamental reasons that we are having that perfectionism show up, why we are having that inner critic or the imposter show up instead of a judgment kind of thing. Like, why did you do that? There is a question that can be asked. That's, Hmm, that's interesting. I see that, you know, that happened again. I wonder why, this is, you're talking to yourself, right? Like, I wonder why you're doing that. I wonder why you made that choice. So anytime you can have curiosity with yourself, just an open-ended sort of, hmm, what I just did was interesting. If you can shift to that way of being, that's when you start to have a lot of insights about yourself. And it takes that charge out of things so that you're not judgmental about yourself.
0: Oh, amazing. Thank you so much, Heather. Where can people follow you to learn more? Yes. Well, my
1: website is The Energy Synergist and my name is Heather Ryder and I'm all over the internet. So, I mean, if you just search Heather Ryder, you will find my YouTube channel, you'll find my website, you'll find me in lots of different places.
0: Wonderful. Those will also be linked in the show notes for anyone looking. Heather, thank you for taking the time for being on the show and hanging out with us today. Oh, you are so welcome. Thank you. Friends, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of The Catalyst with Samantha Chris. If you like what you heard, be sure to leave us a review and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time, I hope you're feeling a little more equipped to lean into the unknown and take inspired action.